Welcome to part two of the best of 2019 on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. We're going to take a look at a number of other guests that we didn't have time to fit into the first half of the show last week. Coming up first, the gentleman from Operation Song. You ready? Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Sun Gray. What a thrill to have two famous songwriters on the show today, Nashville's Mr. Steve Dean and Mr. Don Goodman. You may not know their names, but you definitely know their songs. They have written songs for George Strait, Lee Greenwood, Reba McIntyre, Blake Shelton, just to name a few. Today, they're writing more songs than ever for a nonprofit called Operation Song. This Nashville-based organization's mission is to empower veterans, active duty military, and their families to cathartically tell their war stories through the process of songwriting. Since 2012, the organization has written over 600 songs with veterans and their families. They hold weekly workshops in Tennessee, monthly retreats in Arkansas and Georgia, and are available for sponsored group retreats throughout the U.S. Anyone can participate. A musical background is not required, only the desire of the veteran or his family to tell their story. You can listen to some of their empowering songs at operationsong.org, and their recently released album, We Got Your Six, is available on iTunes. We're going to hear some of the songs today. Be forewarned about this show. You may want to get a, t- a tissue, because I know I did when I was preparing for it. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the Nashville singer-songwriters turned humanitarians, Mr. Steve Dean and Mr. Don Goodman. Hey, Carrie, how are you? I'm fine. Hey, Don. Hey, Don. We were just talking about what a radio voice he has. I said, do you sing? He goes, nope. (laughs) (laughs) He just writes the songs. So who wants to tell us how Operation Song got started? Don does. Operation Song started. The founder, Bob Regan, was uh, playing with the USO tour in Iraq. And he noticed while he was there that at the, uh, the National Guard, some of those people are grandparents that are over there serving. And Bob thought, man, how cool it'd be if we just had a tent here that said the songwriter's in and let those people just come in and tell the stories about what it was like being there. So when he came home, he went to the VA and approached the VA on that, and they gave us a shot. And uh, we started at the VA with six veterans gathered around the table. In what city? In Murfreesboro, Tennessee, at Sergeant York, uh, the VA there. So he got the idea when he was out in, in Iraq, doing in the field, mm-hmm. and came back and pitched it to the veterans that had returned in yeah, Murfreesboro. And, they did, and it, it was so successful that uh, the VA is just all up in our corner now. And uh, so you've been with them since the beginning. You've six, been with Bob since the beginning. Yeah, six years now. Tell me about the first experience when you set up and where the veterans came from. And I'll tell you this, all right, and this will tell you what Up Song's all about. I'd been there three weeks. Bob had to go out of town. He asked me to take a class. First day in the class, I get this Vietnam vet, and, and he's, he's uptight, and I can tell, and I just got talking about his family and where he come from, and I kind of gained his confidence, and I just took a shot, and I said, 
tell me what it is you can't say. Oh. And he looked at me and his lips started trembling. And he said, I'll tell you what I can't say. He says, my first night in Vietnam, they were running water buffalo at us and the VC were firing out of the buffalo. He says, I was 17 years old in a foxhole with a, with a rifle, scared to death. Anything I heard, I shot. Next morning when the sun come up, there was a little eight or nine-year-old girl in front of his foxhole with her arms reaching out toward him and her hair blown back and her hole in her chest, and he knew he had killed her. He had alcohol addiction, drug addiction, four broken marriages. The man was just absolutely broken. He said he saw her every day of his life. We wrote that song. And he got that demon out that he had been dealing with for 50 years. And the next week, his wife came with him. And she said, are you Don Goodman? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, I don't know what you've done, but my husband doesn't wake up screaming anymore. I was addicted. I have been riding with them every day I can ever since. Let's play one of your songs. Let's do that. Which one? Uh, let's see, which one are we starting with? We shot the pictures. Yeah. You want to tell them about it? Sure. Bruce Wesson was a Vietnam, is, or was a Vietnam War photographer. He's still living, of course. And mm -hmm. um, he's, he's a Little Rock native. He's a Little Rock native. He's a great friend. And he's, uh, actually, I met him through my dad at the church there, you know. And so one day I was there um, visiting, and we went to, went to church, and I saw Bruce in the hallway, and I said, hey, Bruce, I'm working with a group called Operation Song now. And... I would love to be able to write your story. He said, well, you know, let me think about that. And I got back home Wednesday or Thursday. He gave me a call and said, I'd like to do that. So really, Bruce's song was the very first song that was written in Little Rock for Operation Song Little Rock. And Bruce is a photographer. He didn't carry a gun. Right. He said to me, he said, I, he's the one who introduced me to you guys. And he said, I told these guys things I'd never told my wife yet. Yeah. So let's hear Bruce's song. He was a photographer in Vietnam. Right. The film went back from Cameron Bay in a classified bag to the USA. But the negatives stay in my mind. I've looked at them a million times We shot the pictures They shot the guns Never belonged, just tagged along Didn't fit in, wasn't one of them They were fighting to keep each other alive I was a 1LT with a Nikon 35 We shot the pictures they shot the guns It ain't all in black and white The blood runs red in the middle of the night There's a place to hide but no escape We froze time in a hell of a place The gallery of war The late great 68 We shot the pictures They shot the guns While the survivors of a firefight are digging in for a long night, we fly out with the wounded and dead and fight with guilt in a warm, dry bed. We shot the pictures, they shot the guns. 
it ain't all in black and white The blood runs red in the middle of the night There's a place to hide but no escape We froze time in a hell of a place The gallery of war The late great 68 We shot the pictures They shot the guns I made a deal with the prayers I prayed If I lived through this, I'd pay it back one day When people walk through those halls, they'll see The truth there on display The orphans, the widows, the soldiers and the pain Won't be left in the jungle, standing in the rain It ain't all in black and white The blood runs red in the middle of the night There's a place to hide but no escape We froze time in a hell of a place The gallery of war The late great 68 We shot the pictures They shot the guns We shot the pictures Wow. We didn't, for everybody out there, we didn't say a word during that. That was powerful. Wonderful. The truth is a powerful thing. Yes. We've got one more song to play before the time's up. What's this one about? Okay. This is a man that I've known my whole life, literally my whole life. Uh, and I never knew any of this stuff about him. Until veterans don't like to talk about it, and he's but he's I just didn't know. I knew he'd been later on, I found out he'd been in in World War II, but I didn't know anything what he had done. Uh, and he also, um, he was the honor guard for General MacArthur and was standing on the deck on the the dock of the Missouri Missouri when the surrender was signed. Wow, and he's one of he's the last surviving honor guard of, of the 175 that General MacArthur had. Chosen from World War II. Then he comes home to Little Rock, and he's assistant superintendent of school when the nine kids came through the door at Central (laughs) High School. He was standing honor guard in that hallway. So the song is called Honor Guard. In Oklahoma, Arkansas, in 1925, Eugenia and J.A. Fair's love gave me life The last of ten children But only nine of us survived Daddy taught me how to work And Mama taught me how to fight From high school to Henderson State ROTC It was there that I was taught to teach and met my sweet Marie I went to boot camp and she served too Marie went to the Pentagon and I left for
Fought across the South Pacific Saw my buddies lose their life Blood and bullets on the ground Kamikazes in the sky I was there at Casablanca When he called the generals in And talked about the bomb That brought the war to an end On the deck of the Missouri Underneath the stripes and stars When the surrender was signed We were standing on a guard In 1957, I lived in Little Rock. I was assistant superintendent when Central High School doors were locked. Eisenhower called the troops in, sent the hundred and first, and I realized how much prejudice can hurt. When those nine came through the door And hatred scarred their hearts I was in the hallway Standing on a guard A soldier, a teacher A husband and a father The last of MacArthur Hundred and seventy-five is still standing on God. Wow, that is just good. The gentleman behind Operation Song. Ned Permy was a guest in 2019, and he told us about how much he fell in love with Little Rock first time he visited. How did you end up going from Alabama on the TV there as a weatherman to a job offer in Arkansas and taking it. How did that come about? The beach. It happened on the beach. And what I I mean by that is back in the early 80s, something happened to television stations called microwave trucks. And microwave trucks would allow people to go out live into the community and do news or weather wherever. And as long as they could beam a microwave signal back to the tower and back to the station, they could go live anywhere. Now, you don't see them anymore because nowadays you don't really need microwave trucks. You're using your phone signal now. So it's very sophisticated. But back in the day, I was able to go out live and do the weather on the beach on the beach and i would go to the beach or i would go to where things are happening and what happened was some of the people from channel 7 television here including i believe bob Steele, which was the assistant news director at the time he would travel with his family down to pensacola or fort walton beach and turn on the local news and watch me doing the weather out live and they hadn't really started doing that here, but apparently he liked what he saw, and they called and asked me if I would be interested in coming to Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, I had just kind of started down there. So I said, 
Okay, well, let me think about it. Okay, I've thought about it. No. (laughs) (laughs) He said, okay, let me make you a bigger offer. Well, so what happened was I just didn't at the time, it just, I wasn't ready to move. I just started in Mobile and I loved it. I loved the beach where I lived and everything. And they hired another weather guy and he came in for 15 months and he was gone. And so (laughs) when this other guy they hired left, they called me again and went, are you sure you wouldn't mind just taking a look at this place? And I went, okay, I think I'll look at it. Mm-hmm. And I came here, and very simply, I, I just loved the place. And really? Yeah, What'd I you really love did. About it? it was just a bigger city than I thought it was, right. was going to be. And it just had, you know, beautiful symphony orchestra, and it had, a ba- and it had you know, the Arkansas Ballet, and it just... Not that I'm crazy about that stuff, but I liked the fact that this was kind of a sophisticated city. And I didn't realize it. Like many people don't. Many people think it's kind of backwards. I hate to say that. But um, so I loved I loved what it looked like. I loved the television station. And I could tell that they 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 really wanted me. To well, come that, to work for that's them. that's that's so sexy when people really want you and they really want you to come to work yeah. there it's hard not to say yes yeah it, they they made it hard not hard not i mean to. everybody wants to be you know appreciated and wanted and i mean when you know uh you wore many many hats yeah. tailgate parties at the yeah. high school that yeah i would i did that for almost 30 years 29 years um but i would go to all the high school games and just root with the cheerleaders and rev everybody up for that Friday night football game, and I love doing that. And you did the uh, weather from there. Well, yeah, for, mm-hmm. for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a lot of fun. And they they let me keep doing it, even though I was getting older and older, and I guess I guess they figured that grandpas can have school spirit too, so I kept on <laughs> doing it. Sometimes they have more, actually, yeah. especially with your granddaughters out there. But I, I love doing that, and— uh, 14-time recipient of the annual Best Weathercast Award by the Associated Press. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very, very blessed with that. And that was just being picked by by all of our peers. That's a wonderful feeling again. What happens is people in other markets, other people like they'll – will Channel 7 or Channel 11 or Channel 4 will submit – all kinds of broadcast tapes and all sorts of stuff that other markets will look at, and then they decide who's best in that market. So. And then somewhere in your career, you had to become a meteorologist because that's what you, it was mm-hmm. originally a weatherman. And we yeah. actually talked a little bit about this on a previous show, but I don't think our listeners have heard that. What year was it that the meteorologist? They they really became important. They, they they pretty much were non-existent. You know, they were just weathermen on TV. Was but the whole thing was so antiquated, and was there was no technology involved hardly at all. And I had a big cardboard map of the United States, and I would put clouds on it and draw fronts, and it was crazy. Um, but I forgot there was, about that. Yeah, but there were no um, no meteorologists on TV, and they didn't really start coming in until technology started getting a little bit more sophisticated, and severe weather was beginning to get more and more important. And so that's when that happened. And so 90s? I think in 94... I, I had to go back to what school. What happens when we're having a snowstorm and uh, you have to 
be on air for hours and hours and hours. Do you sleep at the station? Snowstorms aren't as bad as severe weather situations. Okay. Um, Do you sleep? But at if the... a snow, if if there was a snow event, I would go downtown and stay, stay in the hotel, and, so I could walk to the station. But severe weather events, um, they're there uh, for long, long. And we're talking about tornadoes. Yeah. This is a great place to take a break. Flagandbanner.com is proud to sponsor Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. The Flagandbanner.com is so much more than a flag store. Housed in a 100-year-old building in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas, we offer an old-school shopping experience with free front door parking, friendly clerks, and department store variety. Can't make it downtown? Don't worry, the internet never closes. You can always browse our website 24-7 and live chat during office hours with customer service representatives that are eager to help you. TheFlagandBanner.com. So much more than a flag store. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. In this next segment of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy's Best Of 2019 show, we're going to define something Jason Beck calls Blue Zones. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the creative entrepreneur, hardworking radiologist, and vegan and lifestyle expert, Dr. Jason Beck. Appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you. So you talked about the Blue Zone a little bit, and I never heard of the Blue Zone till I started this interview today. And the Blue Zone, tell everybody what the Blue Zone is and so about the, the man who started it. Sure. The, by the Blue Zone's concept... Uh, was by Dan Buettner. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically traveled around the world and identified the places where people led the longest, healthiest, happiest lives and looked at the common characteristics of what those people that lived in those places did, right? And the idea is you, you want to like live until you die, right? And so our in the United States here, people kind of live until their 60s and then they're going to the doctor every week and they got a bag of medications they carry around with them and they don't feel good and they just taper from there. Right. Whereas in these other areas of the world, people are living vibrantly into their eighties, nineties, hundred. Right. And, and then so, most of them die in their sleep. Yes. Which or, is the way everybody or, wants to go. Right. You want to like live long and die short. Right. Yes. And so, um, basically what he did, which makes complete sense is let's just look at some of the characteristics of how these people live and let's see if we can see what the common threads are and apply those to our life, right? And so some of the common threads that he saw were a predominantly plant-based diet. Meat uh, only like once a week. Meat is a celebration, you know, very small portions. Three or four ounces once a week. Correct, yes. Um, A lot of natural movement, um, a lot of good social support, um, living in uh, close contact with loved ones. Let's sense see. of purpose sense of purpose is very important um, uh, and 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 they don't even have a word for retirement they do not most of them and the ability to downshift every day at the end of the day is one of the key things and that's where um, reduce your stress through a daily ritual right right and whether you do it you know by stopping and having a glass of red wine or whether you do it by going and doing something that you enjoy doing with friends it's it's that that key i believe is to to downshift in every day and remove kind of the stress from the day and move on in your pleasant evening. And those are just some of the characteristics that carried through all of those cultures. Prayer, meditation, walk in the woods. Correct. All Uh, the things that we as Americans don't do near enough of in general. We feel guilty. Or at least I do. I'm like, oh, downtime. I can't have any downtime. Uh, I liked the one, the 80% rule. 
Yes, eat till you're 80% full. Very good rule. A great rule. Right. And I think, you know, sitting down to a meal, you know, we pray oftentimes, but I think you can also, in addition to praying, you know, give some um, consciousness to the food that you're eating, where it came from, how it was prepared. And I think when you stop and do that, you're much less inclined to kind of overeat, right? You, you eat in a much more conscious way. And so it's easier to, you know, appreciate the food that you're getting, eat to a comfortably full and stop. And the 80% rule is because it takes 20% for you to feel the food. you. It takes 20 minutes for you to feel the food you ate. To Correct. get full. So if you eat till you're 80% full, you are actually 100% full within 20 minutes because you, it gives it time to go register to your brain that you're, that you're full. And they have smaller plates in most of these countries. They do. I think that's a really simple s- solution or uh, exercise that all of us can do is eat on a smaller plate. It makes your food look like it's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about giving a thought and gratitude to my food, but I'm going to start doing that. I believe giving gratitude is one of the uh, uh, examples they, they, they use for reducing stress is a daily ritual of gratitude, you know, kind of listing, you know, thank you for being born in America. Absolutely. I mean, does anyone ever give a gratitude for that one? And that's a big one. Especially when I watch the news, I'm like, oh, I'm glad I'm not having to cross the border right now. <laughs> uh, the diet, eat lots of beans. Yes, beans are actually a common thread among the blue zones. And we know I don't like beans that much. I mean, so, they're okay. But aren't there a lot of varieties? Oh, there's hundreds of varieties of beans. So maybe I just haven't tried them all cuz I only think of the five beans that are in the grocery store in the cans. Right. So even at uh Walmart, they've got probably 20 or 30 kinds dry. Really? Some beans you might have never heard of right there on the supercenter aisles. Walmart knows uh clubs and and it said another one was belonging to a faith-based organization uh and it doesn't matter what it is i mean it can be aa it can be a club or an organization or even a book club but having that connection of being in a club and having friendships right uh and then another was uh family caring for uh caring for another person very important It goes back to that sense of purpose. And I think, you know, in the United States now, people tend to be very separated from their families oftentimes. You know, there's other countries in the world that actually give you tax breaks if you live close to your parents. Right. And, you know, you don't get a tax break, Gray. He lives in the backyard. (laughs) Gee, thanks, Mom. Well, actually, I actually (laughs) live next door to my parents and my sister as well. Um, And so we have our own little village, if you will, which Mm -hmm. is wonderful for raising children. And oh, it's great social support and support when you're having troubled times and everything else. It's a, just a wonderful way to live. Some people see it in this American culture is kind of odd. I think so too. I, we've actually, our family has actually talked about that. Why would you not want to stay with your tribe and support yourself as a tribe? Agreed completely. And it only changed like in the fifties, somewhere around the sixties or fifties, everything mm-hmm. began to be like, kick your kids out of the house and, uh, put your parents in an old folks home and right and most other cultures in the world still live that way and even um, people who have immigrated here to the United States from these other cultures oftentimes still live that way I think we need to look to them to set an example of what we should go back to I agree rather than progressing forward of more isolation 
more separation. Those are things that don't promote health and healing and happy life. There's something called the grandmother effect on children. Which makes complete sense to me. I mean, I don't think there's anybody better equipped to contribute to a child's life than their grandparents, right? They've got all the time in the world. They've got the resources. They've got the life wisdom. So, I mean, it's almost bringing a tear to my because, like, I, my I little girl goes, yeah, my little girl goes down in my mom's garden every mm-hmm. day with her. Mm-hmm. And it's just a wonderful experience for all of them. And so, mm-hmm. yep, absolutely. It's very mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. It really is. And my grandkids, I tell people all the time when they have children, I said, well, you're really just having the children so that you can one day have grandchildren. That's right. Because that's really all you want. <laughs> I want to remind everyone, after each show's airing, a podcast is made available on all popular listening sites and YouTube. We'll be back in just a minute on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, the best of 2019. Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a presentation of FlagandBanner.com. 2019 was another terrific year for interesting guests, stimulating interviews, filled with unexpected and surprising revelations from all kinds of people that rarely sit down for one-hour conversations, 2020 promises to be another stellar year, too. In the month of January alone, we've already got Jim Guy Tucker scheduled. And you can hear Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy on all kinds of platforms, twice a week on local radio, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, the Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy YouTube channel, and in connection with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, now you can go to ArkansasOnline.com, click Listen, and find Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Thank you for listening, and make sure you stop by our store, located at 800 West 9th Street in downtown Little Rock. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5.30, and Saturdays from 10 to 4. Online at FlagAndBanner.com. Janet Carson and P. Allen Smith were both guests on the show this year. My guest today is Arkansas's well-known and beloved master gardener, Miss Janet Carson. Since the year of her graduation from the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville in 1980, she has been working at a breakneck pace to educate and inform the public about agriculture and horticulture in Arkansas. In 2018, Janet retired from her day job at the Cooperative Extension Services, but not from her passion for gardening. She still writes her weekly column for the Democrat Gazette and other publications, has radio and TV appearances, and today has founded a company, Plan It Janet, where she takes vacationers on garden tours around the world and blogs about it. You know, when I majored in horticulture at Fayetteville, it was a huge department, and my degree was in urban horticulture and landscape design. You know, today there's, I don't know how many students in horticulture, I'm going to guess and say maybe 100 in the whole department, and that may be high. You mean there's less today? Oh, way less. But that was the the heyday. I mean, we had hundreds in horticulture then. I mean, our classes were 80 to 100 people. Why, why, Why the shift? Well, I think part of it was horticulture was really popular back then, and it is now, but it was um, nurseries were growing, landscaping. Think about landscaping back in the 60s and 70s. You had a few shrubs. You had a few bushes. Think about the number of perennials today. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think back to the 50s and 60s, you could find peonies and hostas and daylilies, you know, some irises. Azaleas. And now there's thousands of choices, and the industry is booming, but... 
In fact, for, you know, the big trend now in horticulture is grow your own, you know, vegetables, everything about, you know, eating locally and, and farmers markets and community gardens. So that trend, in fact, I've been saying now for four or five or six years that we have more vegetable gardens today than we did since the Victory Gardens of World War II because people are growing their own. I would have guessed that that would mean that we have more horticulture majors because of just what you said. Part of it probably goes back to money as well. You're not going to get rich overnight in horticulture. And, you know, a lot of students today major in careers that they think they can make a lot of money at doing not a whole lot. I mean, and that's a ta- that's a tacky <laughs> statement maybe. But, I, I mean, horticulture, you know, I didn't start off. In fact, the first job I got with Extension, I made $13,000 mm-hmm. a year. And my dad worked for the telephone company, and he said, Janet, are there men with families that have that salary? <laughs> he, he had secretaries making more money than I was, and I had a degree. You know, he was kind of stunned. But if you stick with something you love, in fact, I've told my children, it's not about the money. It's because you're going to spend an awful lot of your time in your job, and you better find something you love. And I did, and so I was blessed. And so uh, I got rewarded in the long run. It was a great run for me, and I loved Extension. I still love Extension. Uh You've retired. I have. So what's like? What's it like after life? You know, after I thought that? I would like it. I didn't know I would love it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I really do. It's fun. And my daughter said, "You know, Mom, I thought retired people stayed home." And I don't, you know, I'm able, but I said, no, you get to do what you want to do. You know, you're not tied to a, a schedule. And, you know, I used to live by a calendar. You know, if I lost that calendar, we were in trouble. But, you know, now I can get up. I mean, I still get up at six every morning, but um, I have time to spend in my own garden. I've done a lot of trips just for myself. You know, it was funny. We went, a friend and I were going to go where it was warm in February, our first girls trip. So we chose Phoenix. It was freezing, and it rained the whole time we were there. <laughs> then I went to the beach. Same thing, cold and wet in March. So, But we did. We hit a home run with England. We had great weather over there. One of the funniest anecdotes of the year from Janet Carson. So let's talk about the Heritage Poultry Conservancy that you founded, I think, uh, not very, uh, maybe eight years ago. Yeah, that's about right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it really sprung out of the fact that when, you know, we talked about my early childhood and my life moving from the farm into the city and the changes that uh, occurred at that point in my family with my father passing away and me kind of hanging on to that farm just in a small way in the backyard. Well, I began to uh, show show poultry. We couldn't. I couldn't keep a cow. I couldn't show swine, but I could keep a few chickens. In, right in the in the suburbs. In the suburbs, and so here I had a. Uh, my mom was uh, raising four kids by herself, and you know she really didn't have a lot of uh, mind share to to you know to to give to. Uh, me doing all sorts of things. So anything I could do in the backyard or with poultry, it was something I could really do myself. And I learned a lot from mentors and so forth. Well, fast forward to uh, about 10 years ago, I went to the state fair and was talking to the supervisor at the poultry show. And I was making my rounds and looking at all the livestock, which I like to do. And um, the uh, went into the building at the time and there were just not that many great great birds and i just told told the supervisor you know this looks so different than it did when i was when we were showing Mm -hmm. what happened to the you know that we had the great great old breeders that were bringing in these amazing sort of examples of the breeds 
And he said, well, we just, we've, we just don't have a lot of kids involved. You know, the, the numbers are really dropping. And, and I said, well, what can we do about that? So we had a meeting with the fair board, of which I'm a member of the state fair board now. And um, I said, let's see what we can do to raise, raise some money. And I said, well, what is a, give me an example of what a champion rooster might win. And I, it was like $12 or something like that. And I said, yeah, we, we need to work on that. Yeah. And That's so, not much incentive. So I said, tell me, you know, like, what does a, 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 the champion steer get? You know, and well, you know, those could be sold at that time for $1,200, something like that. And I said, well, we really need to bolster this with the, with the poultry and the poultry kids. Because the way I felt about it, Carrie, was that there are a lot of kids out there that don't have the resources to be able to keep dairy cattle or, or beef right. cattle or horses and this sort of thing. And um, they take, it takes a certain amount of economic resources to be able to make that kind of thing and happen. No, and no hoofed animals in the city. Well, no, that's right. You know. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, so yeah. there, and you got that. <laughs> I would have, I would have had those if I could, but yeah. anyway, um, I just felt like that ra- rabbits and poultry were a way to really let kids get involved and raise something and participate in the show world and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we raised the money. We bought new cages and, you know, kind of spruced up the space and got what they needed. And uh, I said, I want these ribbons that these kids get to be bigger than the beef cattle. I want to be the biggest ribbons given. And so now these ribbons are absolutely outrageous. (laughs) They're huge rosettes, bigger than the kids. And uh, And they love that. Yeah, they do. And so, and then we've got these big, gorgeous trophies and uh, that where their name goes on it, if they win best of show. And so that's been going on now. And it's a pair of big um, silver pieces that my, my mother had. And so we had those made into trophies. Uh, so now the kids get their names put on them or the winner. And then we have um, the, the the prize money. So that that champion. It's, twel- uh, it's not $12 anymore. It's not $12. It's, a you know, it can be anywhere from 150 to 250 That's a lot of money for a kid. It is. And a lot of these kids, I mean, I'm telling you, some of them are so good at raising the, the poultry now. They're 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 taking home, you know, $1,000. Wow. Are they in the city? These kids a lot in of the them city? are, yeah, or you know, in smaller. Maybe they may come from some come from Saline County, Bryant, uh, Benton. It's the state fairs. They come from all over the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we do have some kids from North Little Rock and Little Rock. There's something about taking care of an animal that teaches uh, kids about responsibility. Sure, and absolutely. You, and you want a dog, but they are a lot of work. They are very needy. They're very social. You right. have to be home. You have to do things with them. But a chicken and their eggs aren't as good as chickens. <laughs> and their yeah. eggs aren't as good. Yeah. But the poultry, but the but the uh, chickens or the poultry, you can you know lock them up at night and you better. You, you better. Yeah, that's right. But you can lock them up. You go on vacation for a while. You can. They're they're, they're not as needy. Yeah, they're they're automatic feeders and waterers and that kind of thing. They're but, easy to take care of. But you of. have that responsibility that you better lock them up at night or the raccoon's going to come get them, that's even right. in the city. Right. That's exactly right. And you get one of them eaten, which we raised chickens in our yard in, in, in the Hillcrest neighborhood, and it, you get one of them eaten, that kid feels pretty bad the next day. This whole backyard poultry phenomena has been interesting. It, I it, think you're part of it. You're part of the reason, I think. Well, I don't know about that. I feel like that we, we really took uh, a trend, something I knew something about, and we've amplified it. We've certainly raised the awareness, and we've raised the awareness of these heritage breeds. And so what we're now trying to do is tie in these breeds, we call them breeds with needs, 
with these kids that are interested. And so they're raising these breeds that need to be, the population needs to come up and uh, for us to sustain them. So why do you think they need to be saved? Well, I think the main reason for me is just genetic diversity. Um, you know, you if you go down a very narrow path genetically with any food source for a food system, it becomes more and more precarious. Mm -hmm. And so we have these great seed banks uh, where we are saving cereal grains, we're saving legumes and, and all, you know, the world's uh, wheat and all, all, the, all of this. And we have these seed banks in Norway and Colorado and England and various places. You where, say, are you saving your poultry's DNA? Well, that's part of the conservancy, but yes. But can you actually save the DNA? Well, there is some work being done to cryogenically attempt to do this, where the where the ovum, the egg, and the sperm is saved. They're doing this with mammalian genetics. And uh, there's a place called Swiss Village Farm in Rhode Island that was funded by Dorrance Hamilton, who was the Campbell Soup heiress. And she uh, gathered together for a period of almost 15 years lots of these uh, great herds of, of swine, goats, sheep, cattle, both beef and dairy, uh, and even to some degree horses and so forth. And they cryogenically have, have conserved the sperm and egg of these mammalian species or varieties of heritage animals so that they could be, be put into a surrogate mm -hmm. uh, at some point, so four, really, 400 years into the future, and that variety, they would be able to... All you'd have to really do, I guess chickens have sperm, I don't know, but all you have to do is save sperm, and then, like you said, put it into a surrogate, and you've started it off again. Well, I think it's a little more complicated than that. You know, there's a guy who owns a polo. There's a there's a polo uh, star. He's real hot. I saw him on uh, 60 Minutes, and he saved the sperm from his horse that they had to put down. And he has started a whole line of polo horses using his super his horse that that yeah. was so good. Well, that's that's commonly done. It has been done for a long time with AI, artificial insemination. There you go. But but it's to, not the same, but no. to cryogenically try to conserve the ovum, an egg, the egg, freeze it, yeah, and and the sperm is challenging with fowl with a, avian genetics, and so that's not to say they're not doing it now because I'm not on the cutting edge of that personally, mm -hmm. but I know they're attempting to do that. Now that would be a great breakthrough. And before, and so in the uh -huh. interim, what we do is we we hatch every year. We, we reproduce them. We pick out the best ones. So we are conserving them. That's the way. The only way we know to How do it. How many breeds do you have on your farm? We have about f of, of chickens, uh, ducks, geese, and turkeys. We have uh, probably 60 varieties. That's a lot. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of, lot of need. There are a lot of, lot of these, these uh, birds need, need conservation. We'll be back in just a minute on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, the best of 2019. Listen to all UIYB past and present interviews by going to flagandbanner.com and clicking on Radio Show. Or subscribe to our podcasts wherever you like to listen by searching Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Also, you may simply like flagandbanner.com's Facebook page to watch our live stream and receive timely notifications of upcoming guests. Arkansas Flag and Banner is proud to underwrite Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. 
McCoy began this broadcast with the intention of offering a mentoring platform for those with an entrepreneurial spirit. Through candid conversations and interesting interviews with business and community-minded Arkansans, listeners gain insight into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Carrie McCoy, founder and president of Arkansas Flag and Banner, believes in paying knowledge and experience forward and developed this radio show as a means of doing so. The biographies, life experiences, and wisdom of her guests would likely go unheard if not for this venue. Rarely do people open up for an hour to an audience about their life mistakes, triumphs, and pitfalls. This unique radio show allows the listener intimate access into the stories of prominent leaders in our state. I'm Adrienne McNally, manager of the Arkansas Flag and Banner Showroom and Gift Shop, located on the first floor of the historic DeBorean Hall on the corner of 9th and State Streets in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. In business for 43 years, we offer an old-school shopping experience with front door parking, clerks to help you, and department store variety. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5.30, and Saturday, 10 to 4. Finally, let's take a look at a region of downtown Little Rock called South on Main, Soma, and how it came to be from many different perspectives. All were guests this year on 2019's episodes of Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. My guest entrepreneur today, Miss Anita Davis, is uber creative, evident by all the restoration and changes she's made to the once abandoned part of downtown Little Rock, Arkansas, now known as Soma or South on Main. Born and raised in the small town of Murfreesboro, Arkansas, Anita grew up in a time of downtown communities with sidewalks and locally owned shops. So in 2004, when she moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, and saw a group of old buildings in disrepair at the south end of Main Street, she got inspired to recreate a time gone by and began the decade-long revitalization of what we now call Soma, or South on Main. At the corner of 15th and Main, Anita is the landlord for the Green Corner Store, Lob Lolly Creamery, my favorite, and the nationally recognized Root Cafe. On the next corner, a block down, she lovingly constructed a sculpture garden and named it after her grandmother, Bernice Garden. And in 2013, Anita had the idea of sharing her lifelong addiction of purse collecting into yet another unique and thoroughly modern concept by opening the Essie Purse Museum with a private collection of no less than 3,000 period purses. The Bernice building where Boulevard and Moxie, mm-hmm. uh, that was my very first building and, oh, okay. and I still own that one. And I sold uh, the Sweden Cream building to Carrie and Jack. Oh, you did? Uh, a year or two ago. I, I can't remember exactly. But after they got the wonderful grant, uh, they really wanted to invest in that property, and it made sense to them to uh, buy the property. So, uh, And we really wanted to keep them in uh, the South Main area. So, Anita uh, Davis, can I just say, I love you. <laughs> that was a very good thing for you to do with them. Well, they're, they're just such a boon for our area. They're and, great people. Yes. It's really interesting how that happens, and it's also interesting that if you kind of identify your philosophy, other people will, will kind of pair up with you and understand that that's my philosophy too. I want to do that, and it's really just taking care of the land, and uh, of we want a walkable community so that 
uh, we don't have to rely on our cars so much, and uh, we want to uh, make it slow, the traffic slow down just a bit so that we can all walk and not be scared that we're going to be hit. And uh, then also, uh, it sort of makes us pay attention to the litter and the trash that's on the street so that it's not going down into the storm drains and ruining the Bush Creek. So there's all kinds of uh, opportunities there. And the garden is about having more dirt. You know, the dirt takes in the rain and we don't have as much flood. And so we have beautiful little curb uh, knockouts in our area that are uh, actually planted with a lot of beautiful things. What do you mean you have curb knockouts? Well, uh, it's where there is dirt, where you can grow things right there at at the corners. Oh, gardens all the way up to the edge. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And the the, uh, Business Improvement District uh, takes care of that in our area. You've been called an accidental real estate developer. Yeah, it was accidental for sure. Our mayor, (laughs) he said you were a godsend to South on Maine. That is when you can uh, bring people together and also you offer them things that they need. So 2007, here comes Steve LaFrance and Steve Edwards. They uh, did the Edwards Food Giant. They, you know, he, inter- he bought that mm-hmm. and, and improved it, I believe. And then uh, Steve LaFrance did USA Drug. So mm-hmm. we have groceries and we have drugstore. And then we have some of these quaint little things that we have in our little pocket of the world from mm-hmm. 14th uh, to 15th. Mm-hmm. The whole place is beautiful. Thank you. Uh, and now it is a home for everything. The Mardi Gras celebration, the beard growing contest. We have a great beard growing contest here in Arkansas. Farmer's market in the summer. Uh your annual cornbread festival that i think's your baby isn't it yes because you grew up eating cornbread yes cornbread and sweet milk at night <laughs> so you're really proud of that you feel like it was serendipity your yes. grandmother's yes. name bernice yes. gardens and then the building that was uh bernice building yes is now boulevard bread uh-huh. is that right and moxie which is a mercantile store right moxie yes, it's a really fun wonderful store Would laura you- kaler is an incredible woman She's doing a good mm-hmm. job down yeah. there. Carrie McCoy chats with another thriving entrepreneur in the Soma neighborhood in downtown Little Rock, the owner of the Root Cafe, Jack Sundell. A friend of ours who was doing some construction for Anita Davis down in the South Main neighborhood, he got in touch and he said, hey, I know y'all are looking for a space. Anita is redoing this building that used to be the Sweden Cream, and you guys should come down and take a look at it. And, um, you know, it was one of those things, I mean, we had looked at probably 20 different locations or maybe more. And when we pulled up there to look at the Sweden cream, we just instantly knew that this was that was it the place. Well, it is. It absolutely Felt right, is. You know? It's across from the corner store. It's next oh, to yeah. the, it's next to the muse- SE Museum. Right. And we've got Boulevard right there, kind of catty oh, that's corner. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. There's great stuff going on, and uh, you know, I think uh, obviously Anita deserves a ton of credit for having that vision early on, and she was uh, really just kind of a, a philanthropic developer she she brought businesses in that she thought would be good for the neighborhood and the community and in a lot of cases would offer really great deals on rent for the first year to help them get going and you know i mean another incredible thing about the anita davis story Mm -hmm. is that um you know she really 
saw a food establishment as an important thing to the community there. To South on Main. You know, she had helped Boulevard uh, get their uh, get their bakehouse no, in, I in know that space. Um, yeah, I mean, she kind of, uh, she helped them some with finishing out the building, I think. And, uh, and I don't know to what degree, but for us, she, uh, you know, once we had signed the lease, she was still doing some of the, the finishing construction. And she said, let me know where you want outlets, where you want plumbing, where you want things like that. She had put in a grease trap so that it would be more attractive to a restaurant. She um, is such a philanthropist. It's incredible. She built Bernie's Garden. That's right, yeah. Which is just I, I heard she came down uh, from, heaven? from the sky on a golden chariot. Yeah, I think that might be right. I think that's probably actually where she came from. Yeah, but then uh, uh, eventually um, uh, Scott McGee, he's uh, kind of a, a mentor in a lot of ways, and uh, he came and took a look at the, you know, the space, and he was going to give give us some recommendations, you know, or, you know, just kind of give us his feedback on everything. And he walked in and, you know, at that point we had tables and chairs and we had a stove and an oven and an espresso machine and stuff like that. And, you know, we felt like there were all these things that we had to get perfect before we opened. And he walked in and he was like, this looks great. Y'all are ready to open. Y'all should open next week. And we were like, whoa. And, and I realized that, you know, there was a point where we really had to just bite the bullet and, and open. Another contributor to that vibrancy is Sally Mingle from Loblolly Ice Cream. So you decided that you were going to start selling something you love. Yeah, yeah. Mine was kind of an accident, actually. I was working at the Green Corner store at the time, and Shelly Green, the owner, and Anita Davis, the landlord, got all these period piece fixtures from the store. The The store, if you go, it has all these old uh, pharmacy and soda fountain fixtures, beautiful pieces which the store used to be a pharmacy from 1906 to 1967. Shelly gave me the opportunity to start a soda fountain. I think my business philosophy, we have, we say this a lot at um, Loblolly, it's communication, teamwork, respect, and accountability. That's for my team philosophy, and it's a work in progress every day for our team because it's like you're building a culture and a community in itself. But also for my business philosophy is to, you're part of the community, so so be a steward of the community. That's our show this week. We'll be back with live guests next week on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. Subscribe to podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal, to help you live the American dream.